0: Well, good morning. It is good to be able to gather with you here this morning. If you're visiting or new, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church, and we're just glad to welcome you here. If you're here visiting us online, we're glad to welcome you here as well. A couple of things I want to just kind of bring to your attention this morning. One, we have a few, we enter into a new church here coming up relatively soon. like We have a few church serving opportunities to point out. So we're looking for a, a couple of deacons, a couple deaconesses, a couple of members of our nominating committee. So if you're interested in serving any one of those ways, you can contact Leah, and she can give you more information. Her contact information is in the bulletin, or you can track her down at their church. Also coming up in July, at the end of July, we have VBS called Living Water this year. And in my previous role, I was a children's pastor of a church and led VBS. And so I know two things about VBS. One, I think it's a great experience for kids to be drawn and to learn more about Jesus. And so it's a very valuable thing. The second thing I know far too well is that it takes a lot of manpower to make it work well. And so if you want to Help us bring this experience to kids. Like, we would love to have you volunteer with us. You can contact Sherilyn, um, and she can give you more information, get you plugged in in a way to serve. She may also, if you don't reach out to her, she may track you down. Right. But, um, yeah, just, I would just encourage you to serve in that way. In some capacity, it's a great ministry to, to our kids. So I'm, again, just glad you're here with us this morning. Um, and let's worship together.
1: You to stand. We're gonna sing a couple songs right off the bat here. And I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning and the sun's already shining through the windows and it's got blue skies, I just it is a better day already, right? So this morning we've got gorgeous sunshine. I had my coffee out on the porch this morning, and it's just a beautiful day to worship. So let's uh, kick it off.
2: seated. Good morning. My name is Ian. I'm one of the other pastors here at Three Leagues free but we're excited that you're here with us. Now would be the time that we would normally take our offering. We're not passing a plate, but if you want to give, you can give on the boxes that are on the back wall or uh, send a check to the church office or check online at tlefc.org. Um, Thank you for all of those of you that have been giving so faithfully. Uh, It's been cool to see God working in that way. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together in this place, Lord, as, um, as the body of Christ, as the church. We look outside and we see the sun shining and just the glory of your creation. We thank you for that. We ask that you would help us to worship well today, Lord. Bless us as we sing praises to you, as we pray and talk to you, Lord. Um, As we listen to Tim bring the, the word of the Lord. We ask that you would help us to worship honestly and not worship in a way that, um, that we try and hide anything. We, we know that you see all. There is nowhere that we can hide, and there is nothing that we can hide. We pray that you would help us to see where we are wrong. Help us to confess our sins well today, Lord and help us to love you well and, and be willing to, to confess those sins and come back to you and repent. We ask your blessing on the rest of our worship service and our fellowship later. And um, we just thank you so much for the sun outside and uh, the promise of hopefully a really nice summer. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to
1: continue in worship um, before you stand Or as you get ready to stand. This next song is "Battle Belongs," and it's kind of really been turning through my head a lot. The verse of it says, "When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountains, you see a mountain moved. As I walk through the shadows, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you." I think I was thinking about um, this morning. A couple of years ago, I think it's been two springs ago. Our worship team was able to go to the worship summit that's held in Clover each year, and one of the sessions I attended, um, we had you know kind of a chance to pick and choose what we were going to. Some of them were technical, and some of them were just like um, to to benefit worship leaders and to help us like grow stronger in our um, in what we do. I went to one on the importance of the Sabbath and how you know working and doing worship team and how much it's important that we are continuing to rest, right? Like, all of us need rest, and at some point in the week, that's what Sabbath means is to rest. And yesterday was my day. I went up to the UP with Ann Uppler, and we were, um, you know, just how that feeds your soul and that shifts your perspective. So this song, When All I See is the Battle, You See My Victory, my perspective shifts when I'm rested. When I am full of, you know, anxiety and tired, that's when you're seeing the worst of it, right? Like that rest is what really gives us what we need. It feeds us. So how important it is. And if today is your your day of rest, your Sabbath, let this worship song, you know, give you that what you need to, to make it through the next week. So why don't you stand with us, and we're going to continue in worship here with some songs that are just, just meant to feed you and to worship God and to set our perspective for the week ahead.
0: the way you've shown yourself faithful to us over and over again through trial through hardship you are always faithful that you would continue to work in us to give us the grace to continue to trust you more and more each and every day pray in Jesus' name amen you may be seated Before we kind of jump into the sermon, I want to give you a little bit of a roadmap map of where we're headed just in terms of sermons and things like that. So we're now in week 10 of our kind of second part of going through the whole book of Luke. Right, so we've been one chunk in Luke, then took a break to go through a little bit of Genesis, and then we've been now back in Luke for 10 weeks. So this week we're going to come to the end of Jesus' sermon on the plain, kind of a natural breaking point in Luke, so we're going to, Take a break from Luke after this week. Next week is Mother's Day. So we'll celebrate Mother's Day through child dedications. But we'll also start um, a four-week series going through the book of Ruth as part of that. And Ruth is a picture of kind of the family of God and what that looks like. And so we'll spend four weeks in Luke and then we'll come back, or four weeks in Ruth, and then we'll come back for another series in the next part of Luke kind of where we're headed. So in 2002, there was a wildfire that burned a kind of remote stretch of forest outside of Denver, Colorado. Up to that point, it was the biggest wildfire in Colorado history. It burned over 130,000 acres of forest. It destroyed 133 homes 5,000 people were forced to evacuate. It cost $40 million in like, firefighting costs and another $40 million in property damage. But the fire was so massive that the then-governor, Bill Owens, said "Like it looked as if all of Colorado is burning, which is pretty tragic by itself. But what makes it even more tragic is how the fire started. Fire started when there was a woman who was out in this stretch of forest and she started a campfire in a campfire pit, despite the fact that the area had been under severe drought and there was a strict no burning ban in the whole area. So this woman would eventually I plead guilty to, to um, starting the fire and lying to investigators, and she received six years in prison for this action. But here's the kicker the reason she was out there in that remote stretch of forest, is that she was a forest ranger assigned to look for signs of forest fire. Like, she was out there like to stop forest fire, and she caused one. Like the headline, like, Forest Ranger Starts Forest Fire would be humorous if it weren't so tragic. This woman had undoubtedly issued many reprimands to people for starting campfires during burning bans. And then she starts this devastating fire that was her job to stop. Like This is a, a textbook case of hypocrisy. And if you're like me, like there are a few things that grate on your nerves more than blatant hypocrisy. Whether it's politicians who Go out to eat during pandemics when they're telling you to stay home, right? or they're a pastor to commit sexual sin while they're preaching biblical ethics right? like nothing is more infuriating than hypocrisy, at least like other people's hypocrisy
3: because
0: right? like there's plenty of hypocrisy going on in my heart too, right but like I mean hopefully it's not quite as big and overt as some other ways, but there's a lot of things that I know are wrong that I do anyway. There's a lot of things that other people do and it bothers me when they do them, but I do them too. But for some reason, like my own hypocrisy doesn't infuriate me the same way other people's hypocrisy does. Like When I was teaching fifth grade, I would get on kids' cases, reprimand kids all the time right, for not paying attention. And then we'd go to these like super boring all staff meetings. Like I would just sit there and like look at my phone, like I'll look up into space. Like I was the kid not paying attention. But I would tell myself, like, well, this meeting's super boring. But like my teaching is like super engaging, so little kids have no excuse. <laughs> or like, I'll see a parent not follow through on a consequence for a kid and I'll judge them like they're not doing a very good job parenting. But then like I threaten one of my kids with the consequence and then I don't follow through. But I tell myself, well, I'm just super tired right now. I can't be bothered to follow through on this consequence. It's just like a one-time deal. It's not a big deal. I, I give myself a pass on my own hypocrisy all the time. But then I judge everyone else for their own hypocrisy. But in the passage today in Luke, Jesus comes and he tells us that way of seeing things is entirely backwards. That really, we should be slow to judge the hypocrisy in the character flaws of other people and quick to try to address our own hypocrisy and our own failures. Before we jump into the passage, let me give you a little preview of today's sermon so if you if you grab the bulletin on your way in you'll notice that the note section looks a little bit different than it typically does. Usually I kind of give you like an outline of the sermon kind of you know three, four, twelve whatever points but today it's a little bit different today it's a more of a flow chart than a bulletin And like if you didn't get a bulletin it'll be on the screen as we go through It's not a big deal but But the reason I went with a flow chart today is that there's a a question that really hangs over this whole passage. That it's not directly in the passage, but it's implied by what is written in the passage. And the way you answer that question leads to two dramatically different ways of responding to this passage. And the question that hangs over this whole passage is this. Is Jesus your Lord? Or is Jesus your Teacher, or is Jesus your moral guide for how to live a good and righteous life? So to see that, let's look at just one verse in this passage that kind of sums that up. In verse 40 of Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So just notice like what's implied in this statement. Everyone, you, me, everyone has someone or something that is shaping them. Right? Something that is training them. Something that is molding them into their image. Like everyone has a teacher that they are being trained by. Like someone who they are becoming more and more like through that training. Like That teacher could be a person. Right? Somebody you model your life after. That could... That teacher could be a more broad worldview, whether it's capitalism or whatever. Like it could be a broader worldview. It could be a set of just cultural values of materialism or whatever it may be. Right? That teacher could be a political party. Right? Like, but you have something or someone who is teaching and shaping and molding you that, that shapes your opinions on what is right and what is wrong. That teaches you like what the good life looks like. How to live that good life. Like whatever that thing that is teaching you is, you are going to become more and more like that thing. And in the context of this passage, like, Jesus is clearly saying, like, that teacher can be me, I can be your Lord, or it can be something else. And the question is. What do you want to look like? What do you want to be like when you are fully trained by your teacher? Do you want to be like Jesus? Or do you want to be like whatever else it is that you choose to have as your teacher? Again, the question that hangs over this passage is, who is your Lord? Who is your teacher? More specifically, is it Jesus? Jesus? Is Jesus your teacher? Do you believe that everything Jesus says, everything about what is right and what is wrong, is true? When you need to make decisions about how to live your life, do you look to Jesus or do you look to some other source of wisdom? Do you desire to become more and more like Jesus? So maybe you're here or you're watching online and like the honest answer to that question is no, like maybe you've never thought about it, and maybe you're here and you've like you're tuning in online, you're just walked in because you're searching for something, but you don't know what that is, and you're just trying to figure out what Jesus is all about and If that's you and you're here, like please hear me like we are glad you're here, glad you're watching. We want nothing more than to help you learn more about Jesus or maybe you're here right, and you've been coming to church, you've considered yourself a Christian for a long time. But then you like really examine your life. You really look at what informs how you make decisions, like what you're living for. You would have to admit, like Jesus is not really the Lord of your life. Jesus is not really what influences your view of what is right and what is wrong. You would say that Jesus is not your ultimate source of authority, your guide. He is not your Lord. So, like in any case, like if, if your answer to the question "Is Jesus your Lord?" is no, or then this passage considered offered an invitation to reconsider. That invitation is found in verses 37 and 38. Jesus says. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So this passage, like the invitation here, is like the reason to make Jesus your Lord. The reason to commit your life to him is that because following Jesus, making Jesus your Lord, is the only way to not be judged. The only way to not be condemned. The only way to be forgiven of your sins. So it's easy to read this passage and think it's like a list of things that you have to do in order to get God to forgive you. Like, if, well, if I don't judge, then, then God won't judge me. So I need to work hard to not judge. If I don't condemn, then God won't condemn me. So I need to work hard not to condemn. I need to forgive so that God will forgive me. But that's not ultimately what's going on here. I can say, like Jesus is saying, when you truly believe the Gospel, right? when you truly believe in Jesus, then you can't help but be the kind of person who does not judge, who does not condemn, who forgives. And here's why. To believe in Jesus involves recognizing your own sin. Recognizing that you are a great sinner in need of salvation. That your sin makes you guilty before God and worthy of judgment and condemnation. But then Jesus comes and He dies on the cross. He pays the penalty for your sins and forgives you. But that only happens when Jesus is the Lord of your life. And the evidence that Jesus truly is the Lord of your life is that you do not judge, that you do not condemn, that you do forgive others. Because you know that you are worthy of judgment and condemnation. But God forgave you in Jesus. And if you've received that kind of grace and mercy from God, if you really believe that, you really know that, then you can't help but extend that same grace and mercy to others. So To make Jesus the Lord of your life is to receive forgiveness when you don't deserve it. But it gets even better than that when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Again, verse 38. It says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over. Will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And like, when i read that, I didn't know what was going on at first. But here's the picture going on in the passage. Like, like, it's a picture of someone at a market buying grain. Right? And so that when they buy the grain, like they agree to pay a certain amount of money for a certain size container of grain. Right? But there's two ways that can go. Right? You could have a stingy seller, or you could have a generous seller. Right? And like the stingy seller, as he adds the grain to the container, it's going to be very careful. It'll fill it up just to the top. Right? And he's going to hold the container very still so that like nothing sits out and like it kind of stays fluffy in there. And, like You get as little grain as possible for your money. Like You know when you go to the grocery store and you get a bag of potato chips? Maybe you're like really craving chips. You get like a giant family-sized bag and it's just for you, but it's not important. And then you like open the bag and it's like 98% air and there's like seven chips on the bottom. Like like, that's the picture of the stingy seller. Like that's what's going on here. But the generous seller, like after you're pouring grain in, like he shakes the container, right? So that the grain settles. He can fit more in. And then he pushes the grain down, packs it in as tight as he can so he can pour even more grain in. And then he fills it up, not just to the top of the line, but overflowing. That's a generous seller. And that's the picture of Jesus in this passage. When we give to him, whether with our money, with our time, with our talents, when we give for the sake of other people, right, we're promised that our giving is going to be returned to us an even greater amount. Right? We need to be a little careful. Right? This is not like, the prosperity gospel. Like, if you give $10, I can guarantee you're going to get $15 back. Right? That's not how this works. Right? And Some of the reward, some of the blessing is in eternity. But there's still an earthly sense that Jesus will honor your giving. And so if you're, you're here, and Jesus isn't your teacher, he isn't your Lord, then I just invite you right, to reconsider. Because when, when Jesus is your Lord, you are not condemned. You are forgiven. When Jesus is your Lord, all your giving of your time and your money and your talents does not return void. Right? It is returned to you with exceeding generosity. If you're here and you've not been following Jesus, if you've not trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you've not been living a life that is obedient to Jesus, like my desire is that you would take this invitation and change that. Not just because I want you to agree with me, not just because I want to add to our numbers here, but like because I truly believe that Living a life that is obedient to Jesus. Living a life that where Jesus is your Lord is the best way to live. And I want that for you. I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have about what it looks like to follow Jesus. But my hope is that as you leave here, above all else, if you haven't already, that you would trust Jesus. Now for those of us who are here who who would answer yes to that question, like, is that's your Lord? Like, then we have to wrestle with kind of problematic thought, right? Which is that the reason many people answer no to that question is because they look at us and they see our failures and they think that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And they don't want any part of it. The fact of the matter is like we fail, we all fail at times, right, to live the life that Jesus has called us to live. We read Jesus' word earlier when he said, everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And when we examine our lives, again, it's evident that we are not yet fully trained. That we are not yet fully like our teacher. Like we are in process. We are forest rangers starting forest fires. We are, at times, hypocrites. Now the good news is that... Like, because of Jesus, we are already forgiven of those failures. Like Our hypocrisy has been paid for on the cross. But that does not mean that we should be content in our failures, in our hypocrisy. That we should just act like our sin or our hypocrisy is not a big deal. Like the rest of this passage makes that abundantly clear. In the rest of this passage, Jesus tells his followers, if you call me Lord, if you call me teacher, then you need to act like it. He helped us to show by our actions that He really is our Lord. That we really believe that He is right in how He says to live. And one way we do that is by not judging other people. We already read verse 37 where Jesus said, Do not judge and you will not be judged. But He gives a little more context to that statement in verses 41 and 42. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now,
3: let me the we need to be clear.
0: Right? The command to not judge that Jesus gives in verse 37. It's not a command to like never point out wrongdoing, or, never, or just to ignore wrongdoing when we see it. Right? It's not a command to not help other believers see their sin. But it comes down to a matter of attitude. Right? There's a way that, of judging, right? that it's harsh and critical, and unloving. The goal of that kind of judging is to make yourself feel superior to the person you are judging. That's the kind of judging that Jesus prohibits. But You can also have a desire to love another person, to love them well by leading them towards confession of sin, to lead them into a more satisfying life. And that's a great thing. But the only way you can do that is if you have gone through the process yourself. If you've seen your own sin and worked to have your sin removed, to have the plank removed from your own eye. You cannot credibly and lovingly point out the sin in someone else's life when you are unwilling to deal with the sin in your own. That is the definition of hypocrisy. I remember like the very first time I was struck by the word or by like by someone's hypocrisy. I was in elementary school, in Phi ed class, that's maybe in second or third grade, and my Phi ed teacher was this significantly overweight woman, like, I remember sitting on the floor one day and she talking about the importance of physical fitness and healthy eating and it just like it struck me like. Like this woman is almost certainly not living the life that she's trying to tell us is so important. Like I'm sure I didn't even know the word hypocrisy at that age, but I definitely understood like what it looked like in that moment. And I like I don't tell that story to cast aspersions on my elementary school physical education teacher. Like she was a very kind lady from what I remember, and and she was. On the curriculum,
3: but like in that moment, as a second and third grade, like, it just struck me like this doesn't add up. But like, just, it was a picture for me of like how unhelpful
0: like our critical and unloving judgments are. Like when we ourselves are guilty of similar sins, and we do it all the time. Nothing cripples our witness to non Christians or our ability to help our fellow Christians than our own hypocrisy. Which leads us to the question like what are some ways that hypocrisy manifests itself in our lives? In her book called Saints and Scoundrels in the Story of Jesus, Nancy Guthrie borrowed from like Jeff Foxworthy's you might be a redneck if stick. And she reframes it as, you might be a religious hypocrite if. And then she gives a few examples. She says this, if you've ever said, I'll pray for you, and didn't actually pray, you might be a religious hypocrite. If you've ever said, I forgive you, but then continue telling others how you've been wronged, you might be a religious hypocrite. If you've ever said amen to someone's prayer, even though you've actually been making a mental grocery list during the prayer, you might be a religious hypocrite. If your words to your family on the way to church are often harsh, but then you're friendly to everyone at church, you might be a religious hypocrite. If you've ever judged others for their judgmental actions, you might be a religious hypocrite. Like If you're like me, several of those hit a little too close to home for comfort. When I examine my life, it doesn't take too long to see my own hypocrisy, my own failures. Like we are not perfect. We are becoming like Jesus. Like We are not there yet. But the best thing we can do in response to our own sin... It's not to try to hide it while also judging others. The best thing we can do with our sin is to confess it and to run to Jesus, the only person whose motives were always pure, who was never a hypocrite. And to ask for His forgiveness, and to ask Him to continue to teach us to be more like Him, to shape us into His image. Like we just sang the song, like battle belongs. There's that line and they're like, when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. That applies to fighting our sin too. When we fight sin, we can't just will ourselves to get over it. It takes the transforming work of Jesus. We need to fight our sin on our knees in prayer, asking Him to
3: change us. When we do that, we also begin to bear good fruit.
0: We see that in the next passage here. When we're following Jesus, our lives should give evidence that we are truly following him. Verse 43 through 45, we read, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Like, I'm not very good at tree identification. Like, I just have no knowledge. Like, I can tell you the different thing like a coniferous tree and a deciduous tree. Like, like, but that's about the extent of my knowledge. If you handed me an oak leaf and a maple leaf and asked me which one is which, I'd get it right like half the time. But if you give me a crab apple and a Honeycrisp apple, that I can tell you the difference. There is no clearer evidence of the species of a tree than the type of fruit that it bears. And Jesus says, and Jesus says right, the same thing is true about us. The quality of our character is seen not in the words that we say, not in how we act when we know the world is watching, but in the kind of fruit that our life bears over the long haul. Jesus says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We can kind of hide that. We can kind of hide what's really in our hearts many times. But oftentimes in moments of trial and stress is when we really see what is in someone's heart. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. If there are rats in the cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me an ill-tempered man, It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. We can be really good at hiding our bad fruit for a while. We are very good at acting more righteous than we really are. But ultimately, what our lives produce, the fruit of our lives, is determined by what is in our hearts. And often what is really in our hearts is exposed most clearly in moments of trial and difficulty. But here's the thing. A crab apple can't will itself to become a Honeycrisp apple. Like A pine tree can't wake up one day and just try really hard to turn itself into a pear tree. And The same thing is true of us. If we are a bad tree, like our own self-effort and determination won't turn us into a good tree. We need the power of Jesus to transform us. So when you see evidence of bad fruit in your life, the call is not to try to hide it so that people don't know it's there. That doesn't work in the long run. When you see evidence of bad fruit in your life, the call is not to just buckle down and try really hard to stop bearing bad fruit. But that won't work either. But the call is to run to Jesus and to act and to transform you. Like, to work in your life and to put to death a part of you that is bearing bad fruit. So Jesus is your Lord. We're going to act in accordance with what He called us to do. We, are, we should not be judgmental. We should bear good fruit. And finally, we should build wisely. Verses 46 through 39, 49, Judas says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? After everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my word and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. I don't know if you, but like, that, that should hit home. That's, like, that's the heart of religious hypocrisy. To confess Jesus as Lord and then to go on and disobey Him. Like We all have moments of doing that. We all have moments of failure. We've talked about that already. But if your life is marked by a continual Disregard of what Jesus says. Then this passage is a warning. Like you can call Jesus Lord all day, but if you do not do what he says, if you have no interest in being obedient to him, then Jesus Jesus said, Your life is built on an honest, steady foundation. When the storms of life come, you will be in great peril. So if you call Jesus Lord, but continually, repeatedly, ignore what he says. You feel no remorse over your failures. You feel no desire to confess and to repent of your failures. Like That should be a warning to you. Your house is built on an unsteady foundation. But if you are obedient to Jesus, not perfectly, none of us is there yet, But if you hear the words of Jesus and you put them into practice, then this passage says you have a firm foundation. And no matter what trials or tribulations come, you will not be shaken. You will stand firm. When Jesus is your Lord, you have nothing to fear. Because He is Lord of all. He holds all creation in His hands. And He has good plans for all those who trust Him and who call Him Lord.
3: Let's pray. Father, we come and we confess
0: that we all have moments where, despite the fact that we call Jesus Lord, we do not perfectly submit. him. God, I pray for each of us here right? that you would work in our lives, you would work in our hearts to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. That day by day we would see progress and putting to death sin and putting to death hypocrisy. We become more and more like Jesus. So that when trials come, but when the storms of life come, we know we have a firm foundation that will not be shaken. So we can trust you in
3: all the storms of life. God, if there's people
0: here who haven't submitted, maybe they call you Lord, but they haven't, truly submitted to you as Lord. For those who have never thought of calling you Lord. For that you would work in their lives to help them see that ultimately you are the Lord of the universe. That one day that will be abundantly clear to everyone.
3: One day you will come and you will set all things right. So those who haven't confessed you as Lord, would they confess you as Lord today?
0: And would we all together as a church body eagerly look forward to that day when you come and you make all
3: things right? We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Would you go from here, would you go? confessing Jesus as Lord and then living the life He has called you to live. You are dismissed.